back with Dorothy Saron, and uh, we were talking about crypto fraud. And uh, I mean, everyone's talking about FTX. What due diligence can you do when you're talking about a field that's so new? Very little track record. The players and even the asset class. Uh, against that backdrop, what are the due diligence lessons or lessons in general for compliance and legal based on the fallout of FTX? I mean, because the... the, the there are surely lessons to be learned from this in terms of, you know, preventing this from happening again. Um, so in terms of the legal aspect, I think um, what is jarring is that if you if they move money and which is uh, supposedly a lot of the assets or money was in Almeida, it doesn't even have the minimum lending rules. I mean, in a bank in a Hong Kong bank, you want to go and put your deposit there. The money is not sitting there the bank is lending that money out right. because money by itself sitting in a, an account doesn't doesn't do anything for the bank. They can't live off your charges. Right. So they will go and, you know, take your m money and lend it out to somebody else at a higher rate of return and interest. And that's how it goes. But in this particular Almeida situation, they don't even have a minimum as to how much you can lend out, isn't it? Because in Hong Kong, you can't lend every dollar that you every every penny of your account. You have to have a minimum balance. And in crypto, for that particular balance to be struck, you have to be able to say, because people will leverage off, they will either borrow crypto to lend crypto or borrow money to buy crypto, and all sorts of things happen in that sort of exchange. But there isn't even a minimum level to balance to make sure that um, the thing doesn't collapse like like Jenga. Yeah. It's, uh, it, is, it is a delicate balance, and I mean, my sense was that as, as a brokerage, uh, they're subject to certain capital requirements. I mean, I think so, but yeah. it, it, the, um, but in 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 the um, see, crypto has been allowed, and they have embraced. They wanted the anonymity, they wanted to be decentralized, but there's a price to pay for all of that. And the, absolutely, and 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 I saw shades of this at the first. Uh, Hong Kong Bitcoin event in 2014 that on the regulatory panel, the li hardcore libertarian fringe within the Bitcoin, within the crypto movement, wanted no rules whatsoever. And because they said this would kill a, a budding industry in its infancy, in its nascent stages. One, you can't be part of the financial system either in stealth or in reality, de facto or de jure, Cold without, being, without being subject to some rules. And beyond that, there's a practical consideration. The sovereign wants to be the one to mint the coin of the realm. But the problem with that is, at inception, um, the concept of this product was wonderful. But then the public buys into it. Does the public have the wherewithal, the standard of information, sophistication in order to be able to differentiate between what's a good product and what's not a good because product. Because they saw the double, triple digit returns Absolutely. to capital and they jumped on the bandwagon. Absolutely. And there's no controlling that because it's a free market. So when they do that, then there has to be checks and balances. And of course, um, the law is there to protect the innocent, isn't it? 
and the average person, the public. Yeah. So having that sort of law enforced, of course, it you know stifles the mood of somebody who wants it, who, who is a true libertarian. But sadly, of course, the true libertarian, if they were all true libertarians and they kept to themselves, but they don't want that because they want to be able to tap into the resources of the the free world market as well and into all those finances. So when the public comes and invests into all of that, then there has to be a balance to be struck between protecting the public and upholding the virtues of this this product. And I tell the true libertarians that the you know that even Ayn Rand ended up claiming social security in yes. her final years. So that yes. is when when you or your loved ones get burned, then you will be crying for the state to Absolutely. intervene on your and as you said earlier, the blame game, then the blame will be, why didn't the enforcers um, protect, me from, protect me from myself? Or why didn't anybody tell me that this was a bad idea? But when times are good, you're like, others are getting rich. I'm That's right. Money. Yes. Or else, uh, you know, there's no, there's nothing to, 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 to blame when, when the money is good. But yeah. when the money is bad, they, then yeah. everybody starts looking for somebody to blame and somebody to recover from. Yeah, I mean these 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 arguments can you know can go, go on forever, and I, I I understand that there are arguments to be made on both sides mm -hmm. uh, regarding you know who who's a worthy victim, who who's worthy of redress. But again, sometimes there are sharp, sudden vicissitudes in life, mm -hmm. market downturn, or hacking from external groups. Mm -hmm. Then the question becomes: Did this exchange? Did this sperm? have the requisite protections and controls in place uh, because no one invites hackers to attack them, but you can still be held liable, mm. uh, you know, if, if you, hacking results in customer losses. Yes. Now, we, we differentiate between those that are true scammers. Yeah. And of course, with true scammers, even with laymen, you can't help somebody who's going to be fraudulent. So for true scammers, uh, even though I put into a good product or a good, uh, 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 then their people will hack it and walk off with it. Then, of course, there is a victim. So hopefully there is some recovery. Then there are those who are just plain negligent. Right. And then those who are, who are opportunist. For those, it's very difficult because they, have, they could have done better homework. They could have done better research, but they didn't. And of course, those... It's difficult to, to, to sing the same tune. But may I just, um, at this point, draw an analogy with the kind of, for those who are true libertarians, for example, let me draw an analogy in an ordinary mortgage situation with a bank. And in the, there was a time when they, if you had a, a property and it was in the name of the husband and the wife, the husband could go and mortgage the property and then the wife would just sign it. And then what happened was as the law evolved, the wife would then say, I didn't know what I was signing. I'm sorry I relied on my husband, but the bank should have told me. So then what did they do? They evolved. They required the wife to get separate legal representation right. so that she would know what she was signing and that if he, if he walked off and fell off the face of the earth, she would be responsible for the mortgage. So that's evolution. So, but in, in this sphere that we're now talking about in crypto, it is so unregulated. It is still in a bit of cowboy days as such that there needs to be an evolution as to what is required, what do we need? I mean, how, to, how do we protect an obvious risk? So even for that, um, you know, we can't decry 
that there has to be some legislation because as you rightly said, if this was your parent or your relative or you yourself, you would feel like, where is my legal redress? Why didn't somebody protect me? I noticed this dichotomy and I, uh, I mean, you know, financial services, I'm sure you serve a number of financial services clients, but I noticed this dichotomy amongst financial services types, banking financial services types from the US and the UK, vehemently against the welfare state, uh, feel that their money is going towards, you know, people that don't deserve it. But they have no qualms about being bailed out because, mm. well, if you don't save us, the system goes down. Again, the whole the too big to fail mindset. And what, what does that say? That when times are good, I'm making double digit returns. And when times mm. are bad, mm. uh, I have no downside. Mm -mm -mm. Well, which is why there's a, a, a development of an insurance element to this right now that I'm seeing so that, you know, can you insure yourself against this sort of a risk of this kind of a loss? Yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right in that, you know, um, the, the mindset is um, they, they want to be bailed out when the time comes, but they don't want to subscribe to bail somebody else out if, you, if, they, if, it, if it didn't hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, ha hacking can take... Multiple forms, oh, I mean... Many. Yeah. I mean, there were cases where in the beginning, people chose very unregulated legislations and countries, like, for example, and I hate to... Differ, I mean, this is a fact, so, so I'm not saying anything that's derogatory. Like, there were, they were some, uh, some um, exchanges in Vietnam. Yeah. They said... Um, come and you know you know the story. I'm talking about you know the the, the Mark Gox and all of those. Those are cases. Um, I know people documented. Got That's right. Yeah. So so you know so then everybody subscribed to it. And this was the days when crypto was such a a, a shining star. It was like it, it couldn't go wrong, right? And then overnight everything sort of like evaporated. Um, so and these were the ordinary people that were burned. Um, so scams and exchanges can have all sorts of. Um, um, I mean, it, it, as I said just now, that they can they have to differentiate between what sort of scam, and it's not just like oh, crypto definitely by itself is not a scam. And I I think people shouldn't. I I don't um, agree with people who say all crypto is a scam. That's wrong. That's not true. It's a it is a very fine product. But the point is, it is a fine product that is a very risky. It could be very risky. The technology has multiple uses, yes, yes. not just in the financial world. But Absolutely. when things go wrong in the financial world, because you're talking, you're dealing with people's money, the greatest amount of pain is felt when things go wrong. Yes. But the people are dabbling in things that they don't understand. And going back to what you were saying about it's a Wild West cowboy environment. In that type of free-for-all environment, are jurisdictions like Dubai and the UAE, are they not taking advantage of it? Because just because you have a regulator doesn't mean it's a highly regulated environment. Uh, just because you have a regulator doesn't mean it, it demands that much of them. In fact, people in this space seem to be flocking there because I not much is expected I think Dubai is amazing right now. It's really... Uh, There's if, so much money flowing in. I'm it's sorry, you can just pick it up on the streets. Yeah. It's distorting, yeah, the cost-price structure for everyone. I know. And, if, yeah. If I were young, I would go to Dubai right now. 
tomorrow simply because it's it's just amazing what can be done and how quickly things can be done and how much money is uh, flowing in and I think it's a fantastic success story um, in terms of the legislation I think eventually as it evolves because I mean there's always good players there's bad players right there are the bad actors uh, you can't stop bad actors flocking as well to a place as successful as that so eventually I'm imagining that as with any sophisticated jurisdiction that some legislation will crop up um, and of course it's, it is a good thing it is a good thing to have some legislation because the thing about VARA is okay the world's first virtual asset regulator speaks their language gives them what they want well maybe it isn't necessarily a good thing to give them what they want because the insinuation the, the implication in the eyes of some is you're going to bend over backwards and do just about anything to bring that money in. Mm. Whereas Singapore and Hong Kong are saying, no, no, you, we've got standards. Mm. In, in in much the same way, say, around about 2006, 2008, uh, the debate was amongst, in the hedge fund community, well, Singapore isn't expecting as much of me as mm. Hong Kong is, they would tell the SFC. Mm. And the SFC would tell them, okay, then go to Singapore. Mm. Yes, but you see, that was wise pulling back a little bit. And that was wise because then 2008 happened. Yes, yes. And Singapore was pulling. You see, the, 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 the danger about this um, investing in this industry is that the technology is actually not available to everyone. It is those people who know how to play this, who have, do, who have the technology. And I subscribe to it because of my blind faith that this crypto is never going to go down, for example. So if I put in, and I, I say this because there was a case in Canada where uh, a young person who was 18 hacked into an exchange. He was able to duplicate the keys. He got a whole bunch of money and he kept it on his wallet. So they've been going after him ever since and, they, and he's been just running around ever since without, you know. But the point is that sort of technology um, is not available to the average person. And it's not on an index where you can look at the stock exchange index and say, what's going on? I look at the Dow, I look at the NASDAQ, I know what's going on. There is no central registration for this. There is not something, once I put it in, if I'm not lucky, I will never know where to look for it. And it defeats anonymity. Yeah. And not everyone has that level of savvy. And, and the thinking that, okay, I'm going to put my coins, my cryptocurrency, on a memory stick, on a USB drive, and carry around in my pocket. That, e even that's not a panacea. Even that's no, not completely... No, no, there was a case yeah. where, you know, nowadays, um, and this was the case in Hong Kong, um, this particular individual, it was sort of like a romancing fraud. Um, he romanced her, and they invest. It wasn't phone, it was, you know, one-to-one. -one. Right. And he said to her, why don't you get into crypto? Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. And she said, oh, okay, fine. Then he, case? yeah. And then he gave her, um, sort of like, like a hard drive, you know, a wallet, it's like a hot wallet. And she keyed it in, not knowing that when she keyed it in, it was actually accessible by his own wallet in the house. So actually what she did was she put money into his wallet or his, you know. So she gave him remote so access. So she gave him all the remote access. And, and, the, and, the, and the technical aspects of this can be read from the case law, which I can give you the case later. But yes. the thing is, what happens is, it's exactly this. 
even the hard drive is not safe because, as I said, this technology is sophisticated enough that the average person like myself wouldn't know if you gave me a hard drive that actually was housed in your phone. I wouldn't know, would I? So the point is, it's the technology is not accessible to all and there is no central registration. So I'm going to give you the case and you're going to like it because it was the case where in Hong Kong they said, okay, I'm going to freeze the Bitcoin because it's an asset. Yeah. Yeah. So we know what we want law enforcement to do in such an investigation. We, we want, want law enforcement to investigate. We want them to re respond. But also one thing would be very, very good is if law enforcement could talk to legal. Now, law enforcement, of course, that's not their agenda and they don't owe us anything. But the point is working together would make it faster, I think. Yeah. So, what I mean, in, su in such a situation, there is a legal aspect to it, but it's heavily technology driven. Therefore, what value do lawyers add to this if, if the grunt work is being done by the forensics teams? Right. The, the, and, and I bring this back to my uh, uh, earlier uh, discussion with you in, in the session where I say the person who's hanging on to the crypto is looking around and saying, OK, I know uh, A is the good guy and B is the bad guy. And now there's a freeze on it. Uh, I know I should give it back to A. But if I give it back to A, somebody can come and sue me. So the lawyer's role is we get the court order which that's, is that's the, claim preclusion. That's, right? uh, yeah. uh, yes, so that you can safely give it back to A and say, I'm giving it back to A because the court says I should. Because nobody's going to arbitrate for you and say, oh, I'll just reverse the transaction because I know you were duped. That's highly irregular and highly dangerous because you could be sued from, I mean, for example, monetary authorities say, what are you doing with this account? You're not allowed to give A's money back to B. Right. So we have to have a court order that says, I'm allowed to give it back to A now because the court says A is the owner of the money. So the lawyer's role is to get the court orders um, to freeze the assets whilst we are suing them to get the recovery of it. And that's always um, a, a separate role from uh, you know, the accountant saying, okay, you know, where's, the, where's the money going as in, a, in a very quick uh, evolving crypto run up and down to the exchanges. So lawyers will have to get the court orders because you need the court orders in order to get recovery of the asset. Without the recovery of the asset, then there's, well, you can help the law enforcement by telling them that you've been duped and they will get the bad guy if that. But the bad guy may not return the money to you. It may be somewhere else in ether, you know, somewhere else. So you need the court order, if you can trace it, in order to be able to say, okay, who has custody of the uh, crypto now? We'll have to give it back. There, the, legal, the legal system of the region are clearly in different phases of their development. Some, some far ahead, some less so. And, and coming back to, again, the first Bitcoin event um, that I attended was not the Inside Bitcoin Conference, but it was a, a debate the night before, that night in, I think it was May of 2014. Uh, David Webb, well-known investor rights advocate, uh, 
former investment banker, was debating Bobby Lee of BTC China. And Bobby Lee's point was, if you want Bitcoin to go mainstream, it's never going to surpass mainstream finance. So same with Islamic finance. It's never going to overtake mainstream banking finance. But if you want mainstream acceptance, if you want mainstream respectability, you're going to have to, one, get people in mainstream banking and finance involved. And yes. two, you're going to need something akin to the SWIFT accords for bank transfers. Yes. I mean, we, we see harmonization of the rules in the financial world uh, in other areas with AML, with uh, the ISTA agreements, with swaps. Yes. Uh, some, something akin to that. Um, what are your thoughts on that in the region? I think um, you, what you're talking about may um, hit at the roots of what the libertarians don't want. They, they, we're talking about something you want to centralize. Yeah. And centralization is where you can say, I can go through a SWIFT, I can go through a, 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 a TT, but that's exactly what crypto doesn't do. Or, you know, so, so then um, there's a big tug between those two regimes and those two and, 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 and those two goals, because, yes. because you know banks want to avail themselves of distributed ledger technology, mm. but what's good for the industry may not necessarily be good for a particular institution. Yes, they want their own closed circuit yes. distributed ledger. Yes, as opposed to an open industry wide distributed ledger, and if such were the case, yeah. We could see, okay, this bank is a little too overexposed. Mm. You need to unwind some of your trades and get those off your balance mm -hmm. sheets because we don't want another 2008-style implosion. Right. But then, you, then you're looking too closely at those. I mean, if you, you can look closely at the banks because they're governed by MA. But then for the, for the crypto exchanges or the industry, do they want that sort of close scrutiny? Is it too close for comfort for them? Yeah. yeah that's, that's what I hear from Singapore. But Singapore has a very... They've achieved a great deal. Mm. When they put their minds to something, they do it. They are very good. Hong, at Hong Kong yes. takes time before they decide, mm -hmm. but it is still state driven, yes. and that offends some people in the private sector. Mm -hmm. That or rubs the sensibilities of people in the private sector the wrong mm -hmm. way. That they want it to be private sector driven, but you see that in Hong Kong, and you're like, what have they achieved? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. other than sandboxes. Yes. Um, so you're at, you're at your alma mater, and do you have any advice to students on how to specialize in crypto as a lawyer or what technical skills and knowledge to acquire? Well, I mean, one of the very uh, modern things, uh, sexy things that have happened now is service of documents. Uh, because at, there was a time when, I mean, anytime you, sorry, let me, let, me, let me backtrack that. Anytime you need to sue somebody, you need to serve it on them because you have to give them notice. You can't really be serving somebody in the background and they're not given notice um, that, wouldn't, that, would, that would go against the rule. So you need to serve them. What happens is with evasive exchanges or evasive defendants, how do you locate them to serve them? And of course, you know, there was an issue earlier on as to where Binance was located and they wanted, all the exchanges wanted to be at large. They didn't want to be located uh, uh, because they didn't want to have to comply with any particular legislation. The latest service was done in the US service by NFT. Oh. So then subsequently um, in the UK, See, the judge, for that's right, yeah. in the UK, 
um, the courts have, London courts have said, okay, we will uh, service by NFT is good service. So going back to your question is, what does the law student need to think now? Well, I mean, even for myself, when I recruit, I may not, no longer need to recruit somebody who is just a, a lawyer. Who I need to recruit coders. How am I going to serve the document by NFT if none of the lawyers know how to do this? So, I mean, we really need to embrace the technology, first of all. So, um, and, and this is a, a, an ever-changing landscape to be able to, to code, to be able to, to know the technology. I guess if you want to trade in this area, then you would have to be able to merge a little bit more of the, what the forensics do and what the lawyers do. And, and that will give you a bit of an edge if possible. And of course, uh, I think here you have a lot of really good courses in Hong Kong U. We have a three-module fintech certificate, uh, which I believe it's free to take the course. There is a fee if you want the certificate. I implore all of you to sign up for it. It is well worth it and uh, provides a good, solid primer to the subject matter. Can you take a mature students? Yes. They, they, um, it's, it's open to all and uh, good, good reviews. It was the first of its kind in Asia when it came out. And uh, no shortage of people. I mean, it, it is a sol It's a good, solid primer because t the the problem with too many online programs of this nature is they're meant for techies, and most lawyers are not techies. But other you have the, to I, the IP bit, lawyers yeah. I know, hmm. uh, most of them are not not techies. So, um, I mean, as as our time draws to a close. Is there anything you'd like to share? Anything you feel we we didn't discuss? I think that this was a really good exchange. I thank you for having me on the, the podcast, and I encourage um, students to embrace this area of practice. It is an element of asset recovery, not the only element, of course, but it is up and coming. Keep an eye on this space, and of course, in the whole procedure, you. As a practitioner, you will have to still go through the courts. So, you know, be familiar with those rules um, and how you go about that. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of you out there for joining us. Please come back again.